A classic MFT. Yeah. I'm sure Justin Bieber probably didn't notice. It's just make or break big industry weekend. That seems to be my impression of like parties at Coachella. You're dropping A-listers all over the place here. Slow down. We'll come back to it. <laughs> Our own compound security to get in, you know, close stage. Come on. You're Tom Hanks. Sam turned to me and did exactly the same thing with the yeah. head and almost like, Ronaldo! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the MFT podcast. This is the podcast where you get to learn about one of the toughest industries in the Western world without coming out of your shell or leaving your cocoon. I'm of course talking about the music industry. My name is Greg Houston and for years I've worked under the pseudonym Baby Suite in order to protect my identity as I've encountered the hardest of bastards in the form of Circa Waves, Michael Kiwanuka and the Kingpin Van Morrison. However, one band has been tougher than the rest. <laughs> Today, I am joined by two of the toughest SOBs to survive the business. <laughs> Live from East Belfast, we have Sam Halliday. Known Hello. for his jagged and aggressive riffs, this boy is so naughty, he puts a fried egg on his leftover pizza. <laughs> Beside him is none other than the Dubuvoir bad boy, Kevin Baird. A man who rules the fattest bass lines in the business, <laughs> And is so punk, he built the tiny little garden fence in the front of his house to protect his barbecue, but he didn't ask for permission. Poof. How's that worked out for you, Kevin? <laughs> uh, not so good. Well, it first of all blew over in a storm. Oh. And then the council said, oh, you didn't ask permission for that. You better take it down. And I said, make me. And they said, okay. And then I took it down. <laughs> well, you, you did the right thing. You did the right yeah, thing, okay? My civic duty. Have you had a barbecue since? I have had a barbecue since. It has taken the sheen of the magic off barbecuing in the garden when Joe Bloggs can walk past and see in on my grilled mm. meats. But Well, I said people who get this peep over the wall at your barbecue techniques like they get the peep at the music industry with this podcast okay Oof. today we're link. talking about the holy grail for startup bands management and labels the thrill of being chased will be discussed how much leg to shoe will be discussed <laughs> and when you find the right partner and are willing to settle down we will discuss the realities of getting into bed with them the first thing I guess I'd ask you guys is when did management come into your thinking? Well, actually, I was going to say later on, but that's only because we got involved with some people very early on. Weirdest thing, just two big liars, basically. It was the weirdest thing. They kind of reached out, said, oh, we like your band, blah, blah, blah. You know, we'd love to work with you. And then just fed us a load of lies. Like, oh, oh, we've booked this tour for you and uh, you're going to go over to England and Scotland and play all these venues. It's The tour's booked for these dates and you're going to get paid four grand a night for each venue. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've been used to be getting 50 quid if we were lucky in Belfast. You know, it was usually like a case of beer. That was it. But uh, we were like, bloody hell, four grand a night. And they were like, oh, yeah, well, we've, we've got this van. Renault, we're going to sponsor you and give you a van. So send us your logo and we'll get it printed on the side and we were like oh this is amazing yeah great kind of got to like the day before we were supposed to leave and the van hadn't turned up i remember calling one of them and he obviously realized 
that we'd seen through it all and saw the bullshit and he kind of just then dropped us before I had the chance to drop him. It's one of my biggest regrets, really, is uh, not getting not getting to drop him before he dropped us. I have never, <laughs> I have never heard this before. That's unbelievable. Doesn't make any sense. Like, yes, I, I can't understand. Day, I can't understand why. I don't know if it was just some person just like catfishing us from their <laughs> their bedroom in their pants or something. I don't I mean, know. Like, I think the, the key is probably to meet people in person, <laughs> just how to prove they exist. How long um, had you guys been going as a band? Whenever. They got in touch? Maybe like a year. Okay. Year, year and a half, something like that. And were yeah. they a were they a Belfast based management company or what? One guy was somewhere in Northern Ireland and the other guy was in Scotland. But they were kind of a duo, but the guy from Scotland took the lead. I'm not gonna name any names here because, you know, I don't want to badmouth anyone publicly, but I just do it behind their back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so weird. So then we had this really awful experience, actually. So, we, you know, and there was all this like, oh, yeah, well, Virgin are going to give you this record deal and blah, blah, blah. And uh, we were just really young, inexperienced. Like we were maybe like 17 or 18 at the time. And we just thought like, oh, yeah, our, our, all our dreams have come true. And obviously then kind of with a bang, that all exploded. Um, had you discussed like rates and things like that? I mean, with, had it got them? that far? Yeah. Like, did they, what were, had you agreed to give them a certain cut of stuff and all this or what? No, uh, I don't think can't so. Really rem- no, probably not. That's so bizarre. What were they thinking? Really strange. Yeah. What, what, I think you just want it so much. Yeah. That, you know, you're, you're young and this is how you think these things happen. Somebody just says, I'm going to take you to the top. And then you finally just made it and you make loads of money and hit the, you know, <laughs> record labels and all straight away and it's that easy but in reality it's it's nothing like that so you'd been playing for a year and yeah. then they got in touch with you had you guys thought okay uh it's time to ne- take this to the next stage we should start looking for managers i think at that point we weren't looking it was just someone got in touch with us um and the mad thing about this is that they were probably the very first people to actually you know discover us in that sense from like maybe i'm gonna use inverted commas from the industry because i don't believe that they were in the industry um but that's the what's mad about this all is because you know not to toot our own horn here but they kind of their their instinct their instincts were kind of right you know we did we we did all right you know and, and they saw something in those early songs that we were writing which are the songs that you know, ended up on our first album. That's what's so mad about this, that they could have actually (laughs) been involved. And, you know, this was bonkers to me. But anyway, yeah, that experience made us very, very cautious moving forward with anyone else. Um, That must have been crushing. Oh, yeah. Yes, we gave our heart over too easily. And then we were very protective. Yeah. And I think also we were, we were really young, but, and, and it, and no, we shouldn't have been because it wasn't really our fault. You know, we were a bit naive and people lied to us. But like, I remember just feeling really embarrassed, you know, having like told your mates or your mom and dad oh. or like your family, like, oh, yeah, I'm going on tour next week. This yeah. guy, this van's turning up. And then you're like, how come you're still here? <laughs> like, um. I think it also like they were stringing us along for months. So then like at that point, we weren't really pursuing anything else. Um, but as soon as that obviously ended and we realized they were full of uh, nonsense, we very much got back onto the MySpace and uh, 
sent out the link to as many different people in the, the industry that actually existed uh, as possible. That's, That's where it that. all sort of kicked off again, I suppose. We pretty much just went on bands, MySpaces and got the email address of like managers or booking agents from, from their, you know, MySpace page and then just emailed them a link and pleaded them to listen to it. Yeah, thank God we were slightly, <laughs> slightly, <cool>. yeah, <laughs> ahead of the, later than the time where you just had to send someone a demo CD. I feel like we were the first generation of bands that like weren't, didn't have to do that, you know, before that it was all like, how can you uniquely, you know, send someone a demo CD? Well, I did a, a internship at a magazine called Paste uh, a few years yeah. ago, and they would, you know, get countless demos and CDs sent in from many unsigned bands who were looking for them to listen to it and review it. And often they would be sent with maybe a hundred dollars, something like that. People <laughs> would literally be sending cash what? in. What? Bloody hell. Uh, I think the people at Pace, just if that happened, would give the money to charity. You That's know? good. Um, There's always stories of like, how can, you know, a band uh, would send a plaster cast in the post with their with their demo CD in it. And the, and the cast would be in the shape of a foot. And it would be uh, just getting my foot in the door. Oh, my life. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I want to believe that no band ever made it from doing that. Um, but... Some band probably did. But yeah, so then, as I said, we started kind of cold emailing people. Um, and I think we did start to make a few waves because we'd made an EP and um, recorded it. I think we recorded it ourselves and just had a friend in Belfast, like, mix it. And uh, we did, like, a, a EP launch in Belfast. And... Um, yeah, it went really well and sold quite a lot of tickets off our own back. And I think at that point we realized, holy crap, if we do our own gigs, like we can actually make some money rather than having someone come and, and put you on for a club night. So that was a bit of an eye opener for us. But at the same time, I think it hopefully, I think maybe made some waves. So then some people heard about it and kind of started to reach out and get in touch. When you were picking people to contact, was it just based on they were the managers of other bands that you liked? Yes, we would, yeah, look look through like websites and MySpace pages of bands that we liked or thought were in a similar sort of genre, I guess, and any sort of contact details for people who worked with them. We would just send a, a link to our, our stuff and like most people got back to you. You know, well, I think good. also because we were kind of into, you know, you're not sending it to the manager of, you know, Girls Aloud or something, you're sending it to the manager of like, you know, like Blood Red Shoes or Block Party or, you know, people like that, I suppose. Yeah, I feel like Indie was kind of having a like, sort of like math, rock, angular Indie was kind of starting to have a moment again around this time. You know, Block Party were sort of um, getting big and I think like Maximo Park were around at the same time. And yeah, so it was kind of on the up at the time and, you know, Foles were just sort of breaking through at the same time. So, yeah. And, you know, these weren't the biggest bands in the world at the time, but they were kind of... Yeah, they were a step ahead of us anyway. Yeah. You know, that was kind of what we were looking for, just to take us to that next little bit. Like, our goal was very much just to play some shows outside of Belfast, I guess. Because mm -hmm. like Kev said, we had put on this EP launch ourselves and taken it really as far as we thought we could at home. And the next step for us was 
get on a support tour and go and try and play to new people and get some new fans. So really our first port of contact was very much booking agents because that's, I guess we wanted to get a tour booked. Yeah, it was probably the best thing that happened to us at the time. The whole bad experience with those with those shady managers because we just sort of became really skeptical, which is re- really useful in the music industry. But also we kind of realized, you know what, we're not ready to trust anyone right now. Let's just sort of pull our finger out and, and do everything ourselves. So we really sort of upped the gear and, and, and um, kind of managed ourselves. So I think we were quite clear from that point. And I guess that's the thing. If you're, if you're in a band and, and, uh, or in any mm-hmm. kind of walk of life and you're going to work with other people and essentially, you know, they're going to, you're going to pay them to do some work. You, ha- you have to be adding value. And if, if they're not, if you're not at the point where they can add value, then it's kind of just so you can say you've got a manager or an agent and that's just kind of pointless. So we were quite pragmatic about it, I would mm-hmm. say. It's almost like you guys had your head screwed on. Kind of early, because early we had a real, a real uh, sort of brush with danger and thought, oh my God, like how badly could that have gone? You mm-hmm. know? So we just thought, not going to get ourselves in that position. It's amazing, again. though, how those guys have affected your whole career in a way. Yeah. And, you know, oh, it all to them, basically. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, Kev, you mentioned about money there briefly. I feel like I would advise any young bands never pay anyone for anything until you're making money. Oh, absolutely. Like if you've got a booking agent that's trying to take 10% of your 50 quid fee. <laughs> yeah. I think you probably need to look Move somewhere on. else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's and it. You want, yeah, you want to surround yourself with people who believe that this is going to become something and want to invest themselves and their time early on. But obviously we met a lot of people who did not believe that about us <laughs> well this is the yeah. part that intrigues me like i i find that this is like uh the rejection well it's just kind of so you said a lot of people got back to you so mm-hmm. would they have the let's just say the people who came back who were interested what's the next step there i seem to remember the majority of people that at this time when we were still living in northern ireland we uh had mostly label scouts coming over to see us you know getting in touch we had a lot of you know, some of the, the bigger labels had offices in Dublin. So we had a lot of guys come up from Dublin and then we had quite a few come over from London, but they were mainly sort of, oh, I really like your band, like your music. I'd love to come see you play. Are you going to be playing in London anytime soon? And we'd be okay. like, nope. And then... So they'd you know, drop they'd an email and say, we're going to come and see you. Uh, well, they would kind of usually be like, oh, I love the music. I'd love to see, hear some more. And then you'd send them something and then if they like it, they reply. If they don't, they don't reply. And uh, then if they do like what you've sent them again, then they kind of say, all right, next step is to see you live or meet you. And then a lot of them were like, I live in London. Are you going to be in London anytime soon? And you're sort of like, no. And then you never hear from them again. So it was always a good test of someone who actually really enjoyed the music or, or thought it might go somewhere is if they were willing to come over and see us play in Belfast. See, that's so interesting because at that stage, it's so easy to just bend over backwards to accommodate these people no matter what I imagine that's it it's very hard not to get excited when someone you know with an email address linked to a big label you know is, is saying they're they're interested in your music but yeah only a handful few really ever ever put their uh, money where their mouth is and, and 
flown over and, and seen on us. The company um, card. <laughs> yeah, on the company card. Yeah, the company card. But interestingly enough, one of the one of the few people that did that was uh, from Parlophone, who we <laughs> didn't sign with initially because uh, they, they weren't interested initially <laughs> after seeing us play. But we ended up signing with uh, for a, a, an album couple back. Um, so that kind of came full circle in the end, which was funny. Yeah, it's a it's such a weird thing. It's like it is like courting, um, and I, there's so much psychology to it, which is bonkers. And, and sometimes you, you do see kind of the young bands or young artists now, and, and like Sam said, get really excited, and you kind of think, "Oh my god, this is my moment!" And you know, bend, like you said, bend over backwards, which is kind of I feel like psychologically never a good thing because it always seems to work when you play hard to get. You know, those uh, those label scouts are like, oh, fuck, they're really cool, you know. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, they're being really coy. It must be because five other major record companies are interested. Oh, I better offer now, you know. But when you're suddenly so available and so keen, they're a bit like, mm-hmm. why does nobody else like this? Yeah. 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 We've well, seen this with yeah, yeah. bands that have like lots of hype. You know, we never really had that early on, um, but you saw bands that did and there'd be uh, all the, the record scouts there at their shows and all these different offers one-upping each other and then it just never goes anywhere and flops. But uh, Aye, the guys at the gig aren't watching the band, they're watching the other the other scouts to see if they're enjoying it, you know. Yeah. No one wants um, to be left out. Most of the time as well, the scouts are there just to kind of cross you off their list. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unfortunately. Well, when they come in, say they come into town, so someone maybe from Parlophone or whoever's come in to Belfast for the What's a Gig, do they just see you at the gig or do they ask to meet you or what's that? There's sometimes I know friends at labels have gone to like a band practice and sat in and watched the band rehearse, <sighs> which to me always happened. feels a bit awkward. We only yeah. had that once, thank God. <laughs> but it was... <laughs> Uh, Island Records came over from London to come see us and for whatever reason we decided we couldn't do it where we normally practiced in Alex's garage but we arra- it needed to be closer to Belfast I think because we were going to go for dinner I can't remember but anyway we arranged this practice room in Ballybean oh my god um, yeah yeah so these guys came over from London you know pretty well-spoken posh English guys and you're suddenly in an estate in, uh, in on the outskirts of Belfast and put it this way there's quite a lot of paramilitary glorification on the walls <laughs> <laughs> and I think oh they just God. didn't know what to think of the place definitely added to our street cred though I think it did definitely add to our street cred um, we'd be see, see lads go around alright Jimmy and they'd be like Fuck's <laughs> you know, you oh, better yeah. sign these boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you value your knees. Um, but I remember, yeah, the practice was so uncomfortable because you're just in a room with, <sighs> you know, someone you've never met before playing to them. And I can't, I can't imagine why someone from a record company would want to see a band in that context as well. Me neither. It'd, no. be, it'd be so awful. No fans, nobody to gauge any reaction from. Like, what is the point? Sounds terrible. So weird. Do you I remember just thinking, yeah, I mean, yeah. I remember just thinking after that trip, because I think we then maybe, we went out for a night out in Belfast with them. Yeah. And uh, went to the Spaniard, which is a wee bar, which is good for, you know, pints and things. Someone had and told us, make sure you, you rinse the dinner. So we'd be yeah. for dinner first and we like picked at the time one of the most expensive bel- restaurants in Belfast. Good Good lads. Lads. and dessert thank you good lads 
but I did get the feeling I was like, these guys it feels like they're just over for a jolly. Yeah, definitely you know, on the company card. Um, but yeah, good fun for us. Like you say, that sort of courting experience. The only other one I remember is uh, we went to Pizza Express with oh, yeah. uh, X, the guy from XL. Yeah, who ran a Bino music as well. First time I think we'd ever been to Pizza Express. Yeah, very exciting. This I is remember we, got, we were blown away by we're like, oh my god, dough balls. I know, right? <laughs> He, he, the guy from XL loved dough balls. He was like, I'm going to get some dough balls for the table. And we were like, all right, yeah, cool, yeah, dough balls. Yeah, this is clearly a guy that travels all around the UK regularly. <laughs> loves like loves his chains. Yeah. Pushing it out. The process is kind of inter- interesting. And I think a lot of people don't really know, but like generally the first person who discovers a band is, uh, is like music lawyers, like talent lawyers. So you get these, you know, actual... <laughs> solicitors lawyers you know people with like law degrees who's kind of part of their job is to scout bands and then they get them as clients and then you know they work on their contracts when they <laughs> sign them with labels so i know what you've remembered here sam yeah um so we actually i think initially we met lo- we met probably met more lawyers than we met anyone else but it, it that's the thing with lawyers it's like y- you don't pay them unless they do some work on a contract and if you're at that point where you've got a contract, great. And usually the label pays your the band's legal fees. So it's kind of like you've got nothing to lose by appointing a lawyer. But that being said, we met this this lovely lady called Delphine and we just really hit it off and um, she was great. And sadly, she actually left the law firm, but we're still with the same firm today. But I just remember we took her uh, to have a pint in Lavery's in Belfast and Sam... Sam got a Corona. <laughs> Sam, I think I liked beer at this point. Yeah, really. Sam okay. didn't really like beer. We can come, wish, yeah, we can come back to that. There's a stitch up there, um, <laughs> but he, uh, you know, you get the lime. Mm-hmm. He pushed the lime down the neck of the bottle and sort of turned it, o- turned the bottle over to kind of get the lime to to go into the bottle and mm-hmm. and, and permeate the permeate the beer with the lime juice. <laughs> And as he turned it back around and released his thumb, it squirted out and hit oh. her in the eye. Oh my God. <laughs> and she was just like, like limey beer in the eye what that a went for a long time. Oh, Sam. <laughs> so embarrassing. Oh. Yeah, we were Can't basically like cool. 18, probably like only been in the pub for a few years, you know, probably not very, had not oh. that experience of being in the pub, just trying to play it cool. <laughs> And meeting oh. these people, that would have felt so precious, you know, like, oh, know. let's make sure this goes well. Did anyone ever fly you over to the mainland? No. Well, kind of our, well, whenever we were courting managers, I suppose, um, our current manager flew us over to London. Um, oh, yeah. Because so we, we, we met uh, our managers here, Prolifica Management. Uh, they were they managed Maximo Park and Maximo Park were playing a big festival down in Dublin, so we went down. Was it called Love Box or something? Was it? Uh, can't remember. Yeah, but uh, we went down to Dublin and met those guys and and had a bit of crack with them. And uh, whoa, we were whoa, sort of whoa, Sam, you're just going to glaze over that? You're just going to leave that story there? <laughs> what story? Oh, I was poking everywhere in the toilet. <laughs> Come on, we met these oh. people for the first time, and and. Bearing in mind that these were the first managers I think we'd actually met and the experience we had with those those uh, those two two managers before that went wrong, we were a whole way going down to Dublin thinking we're going to get to the doors, the gates of this festival at the guest <laughs> list area and our names aren't going to be there. 
and this is all going to be a one big lie. It was still playing on our minds. So this is the first management team you would have met since then? Yep. Wow. So we went okay. and thought, oh, we were nervous. And then maybe because we were nervous, we then uh, partook a little bit too hard in the free bar over our chats with the two managers. They ended up becoming our managers, but uh, yeah, Sam, Sam. Uh, <laughs> in my defense, I don't think everywhere. I was drinking very much. I think I just had a migraine. Yeah. Because I remember uh, I had a migraine. Probably pretended you were drunk though for rock and roll. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, because I, I remember being <laughs> out in the in the in the festival, and we got chatting to some people, and I, some someone came up that had a migraine, and this girl was like, "Oh, I have some paracetamol if you want some." And I was like, "Oh, yeah, that'd be class, thanks." And then you were like, went into overprotective like person, and we're like, "Dude, don't take those. You don't know what they are." It's like yeah. this nice Irish girls trying to like. I don't know, roofing me or something. Like. <laughs> well, it only got worse from there. That's all I'm saying. That's true, to be fair. Yeah. I um, can vividly remember being in the sort of VIP area toilets and uh, oh. Sam being sick in the toilet and me and, me and Alex since. kind of waiting outside the terrible. cubicle and guys like from the other bands and stuff. We'd be play- we weren't even playing at this festival. We were just there hanging out and uh, other people from the band stuff would come in and just burst out laughing because Sam was being so violently yeah. ill. <laughs> I do have a knack for that. Did the managers, uh, Colin and Steph, know that you were being sick in there? Or Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think we decided to leave and um, we really left our mark on Dublin. Threw up all over Marley Park and then uh, Sam vomited on the gates of Trinity University. <laughs> wow. <laughs> got out of the taxi and just yeah. straight. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, anyway. we met them and we got on with them well, but we were like, nah, we don't want to commit to you guys. We want to meet yeah, some more loads, people. You know, we've got loads, a few yeah. more interested parties. You know, do the rounds, get a few more free dinners out of this. Mm-hmm. And uh, Colin at Prolifica was very much just like, kind of called our bluff a wee bit and was like, all right, what are you doing? You know, next week, come over to London. Uh, you can stay at my place and meet these other guys. Like, and knowing Colin now, it's very like him, just want to get things done, very proactive person. Um, so he kindly uh, hosted us so we could go and date some other managers um, for a weekend. Wow, that's, uh, <laughs> that's like a love triangle or something. Yeah. I know. Very risky uh, call. Yeah, I love fair. that. He took the risk. He made Hello. his breakfast as well. Did he? Yeah. So he ordered us pizza after our long day of meeting, you know, calling yeah. other managers and then made us breakfast the next day. In Did he fairness, talk business at not, all? Not really. I feel like that probably put us over the edge with him. You're like, what a nice guy. This is the one. <laughs> he knew what he was doing. I'm so, yeah. I never knew that. I it was such a power play for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it was amazing. And I think, I think, I don't want to sort of simplified down to just saying he cooked for us and therefore we chose him as a manager <laughs> but I think generally at this point because we were so skeptical we waited at any point until we felt like yep this is the right person just sort of felt it in our bones kind of thing and he was definitely one that uh, we 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 felt that with. I guess that leads us nicely on so that must be the next stage once you get management then are they talking about um, what labels that try and approach or what's what's the plan when you get managers on board yeah i guess we got a manager probably uh would that have been like october october after we finished school and sort of did that first tour in the uk um 2008 then, i think it was yeah, yeah. So, so for us it was kind of like we weren't rushing anything um we wanted to release a single rather than chasing like a big album deal we just wanted to get a single out there um 
and we didn't really have, have that many people interested, I guess. Um, <laughs> but Kitsune were there. Did and they maybe put us on a compilation first? No, I think it was Something Good Can Work was very much their sing- they, re- they released that single. Yeah, that's right. Um, a very uh, limited release and it was had a time. It, like They didn't own the recording forever. It was very much just, I don't know, like a couple of years or something. I don't yeah. really remember, but it wasn't like we signed away the whole song. Do you know, they were very accommodating in that sense. We, we released a single with them and, and they had a really great uh, history of compilations at that point. It was like um, Noi compilations for cool kids. Yeah, like okay. yeah, Noi for indie <laughs> and dance music. Uh, but yeah, we were looking up to like the likes of Block Party. They'd done stuff on the Katsune compilations before. Yeah, it was just very cool. And I think for a, a new band that doesn't have any fans of their own necessarily outside of Belfast, uh, it was a real shortcut into that sort of, you know, market of, of young people here into sort of alternative dancey sort of pop music, um, which led on nicely to us doing their club nights and things around Europe. So it was really just a fast track totally into that world for us, which was awesome. So did you just like email them, say, would you be interested in doing this? They were, and it happened or did they, did you go on any fancy dinners out in Paris or anything? I think um, from memory, I said a lot of a, lo- a lot of label scouts and big labels had come to see us, and all were not interested. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, this sort of sm- at the time it was relatively small. It got a lot bigger, obviously, but um, Kitsune the, from Paris, and there was another label called Transgressive in London. And they were the only two labels who were interested in the band. Everyone else had passed. And I, I seem to sort of remember, <laughs> I don't know what, I think because at the time our management office, the guys who managed us, their office was in Shepherd's Bush in London. And it was right around the corner from Westfield. And I remember meeting uh, Gilda, who's the head of Kitsune Music in Westfield. Wow, um, a nice big <laughs> shopping centre. Yeah, in, yeah, not glamorous. And I can remember sort of sitting outside in one of those sort of outdoor restaurants in the street and um, having a conversation with him and it being really, really awkward because we we couldn't speak French and he could speak English, but it was hard to understand him. And we had really strong accents at the time. And (laughs) it was very just, you know, oh, we're meeting this guy who wants to release some music. And then we kind of walked away from it being like, I don't even know what we talked about. We couldn't, like, <laughs> we couldn't connect. Mm-hmm. Um, but we loved what they were doing as a label and they were really liking what we were doing as a band. And I think we kind of left it, oh yeah, well, let's do a single and see how it goes. And we did that and yeah, it went quite well. And Sam said we got to play some club nights around Europe, which was great. And then obviously it came on to discussing an album mm-hmm. and... Um, yeah, again, as I said, Transgressive and Kitsune were the only two labels that uh, ever offered us a recording contract. And actually, Transgressive offered us a contract and then they were, uh, Warner Records were financing them. You know, they, Warner were going to give them the money to sign us. And then Warner said, no, we don't, we don't believe in Tudor Cinema Club. So they took Is away the right? contract. Yeah, no. that's true. Um, that's, unbe- that's unbelievable. Yep. So we ended up having one contract and I mean, lucky for us, it was with a label that we really liked and, 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 you know, a label that we'd had some track record with. That's wild that, um, 
the big big Warner stepped in like that. I mean, um, which is hilarious because you know, three, three two albums later onto the third album when Warner and Parlophone signed us, it cost them a lot more money than yeah, they were offering that time. Good. Uh, I'm glad it did. <laughs> yeah, I guess with all this talk, negotiating with a the label, then what is the is this just the case your lawyer goes in and speaks to speak to them, or are you in a room? What should a what was most important about signing to a label for you guys? For us, it was kind of the the label needed to do what we needed at the time, which was release the album. You know, within a few months, I guess, of like us fulfilling the recording, uh, like deliver, delivering the album. And also just allowing us to maintain as many rights as possible. Like we we very much owned the recording um, and we didn't really take much of an advance from Kitsune. It was very much just a licensing deal, which which means then after a certain amount of time, the license reverts back to, you know, the owner of the master, which was us in that case. But it was very much we, you know, our manager's game plan. I suppose we didn't really know much about that at the time. And they explained all that to us, I suppose. And we got the deal to a place where we were all happy. And then it sort of moved on to the the lawyer to check over, I suppose. Yeah. Um, It's kind of like the trade-off. You can get good sort of terms, and you know, but you have to be willing to take little money. Okay. So that's what kind of Sam said. It's like, if you want really good terms the label have to get something and what they get is to not put very much capital into you. Mm -hmm. Um, But the thing with capital, you know, a lot of people don't realize is you always hear this. It's like, oh, they signed a five album deal, you know, a million dollars advance or whatever. That a million dollars is basically, it's just a loan. So you will never see any money from your album sales until you've paid back that million. So it's kind of just like an interest-free loan. And we were quite cautious around that because we wanted to keep things really tight and yeah, save as much money as possible and and take as little as possible in order to get really good terms. Um, and then it's, that's where we ended up. It's just like all like, well, it's easy to say looking back now, like all wise decisions. It's hard again, not to be tempted by here. Here's a big advance. Go have fun. Yeah, it's tough to know if we had been offered that, what we would have done, I suppose. So then obviously you signed with Kitsune for a couple of years and you made the wise decision not to take the advances and all that sort of thing. But then obviously when that deal runs out and suddenly you've had uh, like significant success, uh, you're free, you're single, you're ready to mingle. Were you, um, did you indulge many labels in letting them take you out for dinners and (laughs) I guess see what was out there, so to speak? Yeah, it ended up kind of feeling kind of bad, didn't we? Uh, we kind yeah. of didn't string we took along, them probably too far. Yeah, yeah, that was the issue. Like I say, <laughs> stringing them along, but we had it was a lot only of fun two. in the process. It was interesting because we weren't basically we'd we'd in hindsight, I really wish. Uh, uh, no, no regrets. But um, the first two albums were on independent labels, and we kind of thought third album, let's go for it. Let's sign with a major. And at the time, there was only three majors. So there was Universal, Sony and Warner. Mm-hmm. But because of a complex situation with 
um, some company had some shares in Kitsune. Basically, Universal bought EMI and this led to this whole competition rules in the EU. So essentially, because we'd come from a label associated with that merger, we were not allowed to sign with Universal or Universal wow. weren't allowed to okay. sign us. So it was only between Sony and Warner. What happens then? The, the, the Colin and Steph, you know, put out a wee phone call saying, our boys, you know, like, like the look of you guys, would you like to go on a date, so to speak? I seem to remember them coming to gigs mm-hmm. and hanging out in the dressing room. I don't really remember that so much. I, yeah, I remember it was very much Colin and Steph, like sort of quarterbacking, like deals, I suppose, and trying to compare them both. Oh, fuck. I've just remembered. What? Do you not remember what we got out of, well, Sony hooked us up before we degrade to go with Parlophone. Oh, we got a load of hookups with yeah, Sony. Yeah, Sony hooked us up and we got to go watch Man United in a box. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Simon Fuller's box. The manager of Spice Girls box. Nice. So does anybody from Sony come to the box or do they just leave you to it to relax? No, they didn't come with us. Okay. They, I think they just then came to the gig later that mm-hmm. night. I can remember it was in Manchester, obviously. Mm-hmm. We were playing yeah. two nights at the Apollo. And I remember them coming. And yeah, I mean, we, it was, it's so hard because, you know, on the one hand, you're, you're trying to get to know these people because you want to see, can you work with them? Like, what is their style? And do you believe in their vision? What do they think? they're going to do for the band where they'd like to take it and their kind of business plan that's one side of it then there's the whole who's got the most competitive contract and that's not necessarily the most money it's as we talked about the best terms mm-hmm. um do you talk about those things you just mentioned in oh, point one backstage at a gig oh no 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 okay we just oh, do we maybe talk. talk about the plan for the band <laughs> yeah yes. we wouldn't really get into the contractual no. money things like that we'd literally leave that to the management or the or the lawyers um, so you go out for dinner and say, what's your plan for the band if we yeah, get into bed? Yeah, you very bed? much pretend like there'll be no money changing hands and we're not going to absolutely try and fleece them. We uh-huh. just sort of pretend <laughs> that that's not happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like we we weren't really interested like in getting a big uh, signing on fee or anything because we, you know, were already doing what we needed to be doing. We're, you know, making decent money from doing shows and, and festivals and stuff. This is quite far into our career at this point, so... It was all very much just trying to negotiate the best rights and things like that, mm-hmm. splits, uh, royalties and all. So um, a wee bit different, I suppose, this time around. I remember we got to go and watch Beyonce. Kevin, do you remember that? Were you there? Did I go to that? It was in the O2. Was it like a Sony box or something? I don't think I went. I think oh. I was too scarred from the Justin Bieber experience. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, was that another hookup? Uh, yeah, that was our agent uh, in America is also Justin. Justin. Justin's agent and uh, yeah she was like oh do you want to go see Justin and we were like yeah I think no Sam you were like yeah I'd like to go see Justin Bieber and then you said to me oh you should come and I was like yeah all right I'll email the agent like yeah I'd love to go with Sam and see Justin Bieber too and then so me and my plus one couldn't make it in the end it was your brother Paddy he couldn't come and I was with my wife and the seats weren't together so it was four tickets but two and two and uh we got down to the floor of the O2 and we were like showing the guy the tickets. He's like, oh, no, no, it's right this way. This way. And to kept walking, we, kept, we were walking towards the stage and just kept walking. And it was like, we, me and Rachel were like third row or something. Wow. And then Kev was going on with the guys like, no, you're a bit further, sir. And Front row. 
was the front guy row? like oh. front row Kev was front row <laughs> and he had to push past we came in like maybe after the first song or something and we, Kev had to push past all these girls and the bouncer was like girls girls out of this man's way this like, man's sitting on, here this is this seat. man's seat here oh my god this sounds like a nightmare <laughs> oh it was so I, I know I mean I'm sure I'm sure Justin Bieber probably didn't notice but I swear 100% did. he saw me and we made eye contact so many times because he was thinking, who is this guy in the front row? Sitting Why alone? is he here on his own? Is he their dad? I don't know. And I, I just had to leave after about three songs because I just <laughs> thought this is too much. Um, you probably saw you leave. Yeah. Maybe that's where it all went wrong from. Wow. Um, but yeah, we digress. No, I didn't. I don't think I was a part of the Beyonce hookup. I can't remember what Parlophone hooked us up with. <sighs> Just a better contract, probably. <laughs> yeah, just a better contract. So that gives you quite a lot of, that's, that's a nice image, like quite a lot of power, I guess. That yes. kinda... Enjoy it while you can, that would be my advice. Yes, <laughs> but yeah, try not to stretch it out too long because, you know, these people, you know, these people are human beings as well. Mm-hmm. And obviously, they know you're talking to someone else, but you're kind of, you know, making it seem like it might go their way. You know, or you're at least open to the idea. So, oh, of course, and we were like, it's not we definitely we were, were just open to it, yeah. along. But um, what happens when it doesn't go their way? I mean, you don't tell them face to face you're going with someone else, do you? Oh no, we send the suits in. No, oh, yeah, but oh, it's um, cold, Sam. <laughs> we then cold. we then played. Then Glastonbury. we see them at Glastonbury months later, and, and yeah. all smiles and chat. Yeah. Well, we were at Glastonbury, <laughs> and we decided to do like a bit of a signing photograph in the VIP area oh. with Parlophone. I think it got itself in some in Music Week or whatever, some sort of trade magazine. And I remember the guy who we'd been speaking to at Sony was there and he'd had quite a few drinks and there was a bit of a kind of... Oh my God. Was, we'd all had a few drinks and there was a lot of the whole kind of like, <laughs> you're a bastard, you are, you know, <laughs> oh, you absolute prick, you know, holding the handshake for slightly too long and oh too firmly. My- <laughs> <laughs> um but I think it's all cool now. Um, but yeah, it was At a least there's three of you... You know, to deal with that sort of thing. Well, I'm sure Alex was long gone by that point. (laughs) 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 He saw that one coming. He's always smart that way. Um, He's always good at avoiding conflict. But yeah, I mean, and then in hindsight, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to Sony, which was not signing us. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because they would have had, they, they would have parted with a lot of, 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 of cash and, and, uh, and terms that they wouldn't have made their money back essentially and then just sort of the way things worked out we kind of had a uh, unexpected but much needed long period of time off Mm -hmm. so we signed the contract and then maybe a year and a half went by and we still hadn't started recording or writing the next album the album which we'd signed for so obviously then by the time we came to actually releasing that album it was a very different, you know, world and different industry and different, you know, time in the career of the band than it was when we signed it nearly two years before. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and I think that probably led to it only being one album with them, even though the contract dictated quite a few more. By mutual consent, we parted ways after yes, one. Yes, I remember uh, thinking Parlophone was very exciting because they had signed you know it was for being a major label it was very much a music label as well yeah 
Um, I remember always they had signed Idlewild back in the day. I know mm-hmm. a mutual uh, favorite of ours. And yeah, thinking, oh, we're following in their footsteps, you know, a couple of albums doing it sort of more indie and then, you know, signing the big major and, and going for it. And then, yeah, we also got dropped after one album, just like Idlewild. <laughs> so, um, yeah. all good. Well, that's all we've got time for today on the MFT podcast. I hope we've provided you with some real insight there into a young band's journey to forge those relationships with managers and and record labels. Thank you for listening. It's been a pleasure.